you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Where the text there reads, Then they lifted up their voices, speaking of Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, like we sang in For Your Glory, she said, no more. She said, no more. Father, as we approach your word, we pray, Lord God, that you give us hearts receptive. The Bible says, be not merely hearers of the word, but doers. It's the one who looks at himself intently in the mirror of the law of your word and sees what manner of person that he is and makes the necessary changes that is blessed in his deed. Jesus, you said that the one who hears your word and does it is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. Because when the rain comes, and it will, and the floods rise, and the storm and the wind come beating against the house of our life, we'll remain standing. And that's my prayer, that we remain standing. May your word, I pray, come alive. It's already alive, but may it come alive to our hearts. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is piercing and is a discerner of both the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Your word is more than a textbook. It's living because it comes from you. And so, God, we sit humbled at your feet and desire to learn from you and from your ways. Help us all, Lord God, including myself, to be more faithful disciples of yours in this day and age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're at a, a, a beautiful portion in this particular uh, part of the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth is this little story, but if, you, if you're not careful, it's really communicating a bigger story that has to do with our love relationship between ourselves and God, a lot like what we sang about. I know uh, up till this point, it's been a little sad, hasn't it? The fact that not only have hard times hit Naomi and her family to where now she's alone and left to herself, to herself, nothing to show for whatever has been these past 10 plus years. And now she's at this point where God, in his kindness, has visited his people. And the way we know that is he's brought bread to Bethlehem. And as a result of that, Naomi realizes, wait a second here, I'm, I'm a widow. 
I don't have my sons in that Beit Ab society where a woman, especially a widow, would have been at a loss to be able to try to function and live for herself like in our day and age. She realizes there's no point in me remaining in Moab. I need to return back to Bethlehem. And so the text tells us she rises and returns back to Bethlehem only to realize that here she has her daughters-in-law who are committed to her. I know mother-in-laws get the brunt of a lot of jokes these days, don't they? Um, A lot of my counseling a lot of times is helping in-laws and newlyweds work it out because everybody's trying to stay away from each other. But here we got a different scenario. These daughters-in-laws, these daughter-in-laws are clingy. They're, they're committed to her. She keeps looking back. It's like, didn't I tell you? It's like that dog that keeps following you home because you fed it once. It's like, shoo. Didn't I tell you? Go back to Moab. I'm too old. I'm aged in years. Nobody's going to marry me. I don't have a home. I don't have a 401k. I ain't got nothing to my name. What on earth would you do with someone like me? I have no kids. I have no offspring. Even if I were to get married today, it's going to take, what, 20 years? You're going to wait 20 years to marry whoever it is that comes from me? It ain't worth it. You're young. You got Moab. Go back. Perhaps your parents will take you back in. Perhaps there's a young man that will take you to be with himself, and you could start a nice little family all over again. You don't want me. I ain't got nothing to offer. So on one level... Naomi is very selfless, isn't she? It's really coming from her heart. A lot of times mother-in-laws, because they love their kids so much, tear their kids away from their spouses because that apron string wasn't ever cut, even after marriage. And they don't realize this is a new family unit, and they're holding on as much as they can. And they'll wreak havoc in that home, whatever they got to do, just to make sure they don't lose him or her. But in her case, we see a beautiful side to her. She has every right with her bitterness, with her pain, with her loss to be clingy. But she says, no, I'm not going to do that to you. I want you to go. However much it may benefit me, it's not about me. Go. But she does drop the ball, doesn't she? Because she encourages them to go back to Moab. Because what does Moab represent? Moab represents everything that God is opposed. Moab represents everything that's opposite God's blessing. God isn't there. God's presence isn't there. God's people aren't there. In fact, she goes on and she says, why don't you go on ahead and join Orpah? Because Orpah, at this point, ended up returning. They wept. But after they wept, they got up, Ruth stuck with Naomi, and Orpah decided to go back to Moab. And Naomi says, you see that? You need to be smart, and you need to join with her. Be with your people and your gods, she told her. So Naomi is being very anti-evangelistic at this point. She's not being at her best. She's not the best witness. Anybody relate? But even with her failures here, Ruth still remains committed. I hope that's an encouragement to somebody. Because sometimes we're tempted, maybe you're like me, to rest God's ability to use us on how perfect we are. 
or how flawless a witness of his we are. But look, in Naomi's case, God is showing us that he's capable of even drawing a straight line with as crooked a stick as Naomi. Any crooked sticks in the house? Here's one right here. And God is showing us if he can work with somebody like Naomi, he can work with somebody like you. God doesn't have to wait for you to have it all together before your life is a testimony in his hands. It didn't stop Ruth at all from being able to know what Naomi had with all of Naomi's flaws and shortcomings. I'm thankful for that. And the text tells us here, if we could look at it, she says in verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Bad idea. Wait a second. I thought they all wept. I thought they all were with her. They were until. Isn't that how it happens a lot of times? I mean, look around. There were a lot of people who may have started out the Christian life or even the church experience with you, but they're not anywhere around. There are a lot of times where we can have a good start with God, but he's more interested that we have a good finish with him. There are a lot of good starters, but not a good finisher. Orpah was a good starter. But as soon as that time came where she had the opportunity to choose between Bethlehem, which represents house of bread, and Moab, she opted for Moab. Which tells me those tears didn't mean too much. You see, everybody wept. Naomi wept, Orpah wept, Ruth wept, but only two of those tears meant anything. 2 Corinthians in chapter 7 and verse 10 says, worldly sorrow brings forth death, but godly sorrow brings forth salvation and life everlasting. In other words, there is a kind of sorrow, a kind of weeping like what we just saw with Orpah that doesn't result in God's ends in my life. Maybe you've seen it. I've had, you know, it could be a guy who comes and they realize they messed up due to a a relationship gone bad and they realize now what I'm about to lose. Oh no, she's walking out on me. They're going to take the kids with me. I'm going to lose the house. And so we weep. Or maybe we weep because we got caught or we see people getting caught in all sorts of things and they feel the consequences of their actions on one level, but it has nothing to do with God. That's important. You see, Orpah, with all of her weeping, with all of her remorse and all of her brokenness, it had nothing to do at the end of the day with her relationship with God. And that's how we are sometimes. It's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't realize I was going to lose this job. I'm sorry. I won't do that ever again. Oh, no, I didn't realize that that's how you were going to take it. Please, please, I apologize. I'll do right, baby. I'll do right. And a lot of times, that's our approach. And what God is after is a godly sorrow. You see, Orpah arrived at a point at that fork in the road where she could have had God, but she chose Moab. Mo- Moab represents the world. Moab represents what we can offer provide ourselves. Bethlehem represents God and what God alone is capable of offering and providing for us. You see, to go to Bethlehem meant you were ready to surrender your life and put God first and look to him for all you need. To go to Moab meant you weren't done being in control of your life. And so even though Orpah wept, 
She wept for this reason, unlike Ruth and Naomi. She wept because she couldn't have her cake and eat it too. She couldn't have God and what Bethlehem represented and the world. A lot of times that's the grief that a lot of people have. It isn't a godly sorrow. You see, a godly sorrow says, against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. That's David. Wait a second. You just, you just sinned against Bathsheba. You just had Uriah taken out. What, what about them? He knew them, but he knew sin would not be sin were it not first done against God. And until and unless we go that far, we haven't gone far enough. Because it, whatever feelings we have may work one Sunday, but where are they at the next Sunday? Why? Because it fades. Orpah's move of God, whatever Orpah felt, whatever emotionalism came over her, whatever feelings of guilt, whatever feelings of remorse came over her were short-lived. Ruth's, on the other hand, didn't just begin, it went on. Why? Because it was a work of God. It was a work of God. You remember the rich young ruler in Luke 18, he shows up to Jesus and, he's, and he says, um, uh, Master, good, glad to meet you. Um, I have uh, done this and, and I, I, I've done this. I've complied with this law and, and this law and I, I can't see exactly what else I must do to enter into your kingdom. Is there, is there anything? And Jesus looks at him and he says, um, sell all that you have. And, and give it to the poor. He puts his finger on the pulse. You see, everything that the rich young ruler did, he did within his power. But Jesus put his finger on something that he would have to look to him for, that he could not do outside of him. A lot of times, we try to pursue a Christianity and a kind of a church experience that is in our power to do. We're still in control. That grain of wheat that John, Jesus talks about in John 12, 24 has not hit the ground and died. What did Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. That rich young ruler abided alone. Orpah abided alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And he says, the one who saves his life, next verse, in the end, ends up losing it. But the one who loses it for my sake and for the gospel actually ends up finding it. You see, Orpah missed that. She focused on how much she was losing, but she didn't realize what she could have gained as a result of what she gave up for him. The rich young ruler, after hearing what Jesus said, you remember what the response was? After hearing Jesus, the rich young ruler walked away Sad, sad. He wept like Orpah, sad. He went back to Moab. He walked away sad. He had everything he could have had, but he walked away. Why? Because he realized there is no way to be able to serve two masters. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Why? Because what's going to end up happening is you're either going to love the one and despise the other, or you're going to regard the one and disregard the other. No one can serve both God and mammon. Orpah was trying to serve the God of Bethlehem and the God of Moab, Chemosh, and it can't happen. 
God says, my glory, I don't give to another. God doesn't share his glory with our money, with our promotions, with our titles at work, with our spouses, with our kids, with our ministry titles, with whatever we can acquire in this world. God does not share his glory with anyone. And Orpah was at a point where she could have had God, but she chose rather to have Moab. She chose rather to have Moab. I'm wondering, as we are in this space, who do we represent is the question we need to be asking. Do I identify more with Orpah in my response to God's loving pleads in my life? Or do I identify more with Ruth and with Naomi in my determination to follow him no matter what? You see, that Orpah-ness is in all of us in one way or another. And we don't have to go the way that she did, though she did. We can go the way of Ruth. In fact, the text tells us about Ruth in verse 16. For the first time, we, we get a chance to hear her voice. And she speaks up, at least in this lengthy way, and she says to Naomi, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And then here we go, the famous, often quoted in marriage at weddings. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. You know what we have a picture of here? We have a picture of conversion, biblical conversion. This is, this is a picture. Of, for the first time, we have a chance to see Ruth's genuine conversion. Though she's a Moabitess, Though she is born in a land that's foreign to the God of Yahweh, she came to faith in Christ. We recognize Naomi must have been working in her life all these years. Her life and her message has had an impact upon her life, so much so that when the time came for Naomi to go back, she's ready to join her. See, Naomi, with all of her flaws, what got her to Moab in the first place? Her sin. Her backslidden state. <laughs> Imagine that. The season in my life where I'm backslidden, I'm winning more people to Christ. <laughs> people going to church every Sunday, having won a single person to Christ. Here, here Naomi, what got her to Moab? Her disobedience along with the families and her husbands and everything else in between. She had every opportunity to go back to Bethlehem, but it's 10 plus years. She's still there due, due to a choice of her own. And as a result of that, it in no way jeopardized the work that God did in Ruth. Why? Because of grace. I want you to know that. That even when you are a poor represent, representative of Jesus out there in the world, when you feel like, man, I should know better. Jesus does not, should not be having me. What on earth am I doing? God can use a soul like that. And he did. You see, Ruth is prepared to put her feet to the ground. You see, salvation costs you and me nothing, but our discipleship costs us everything. And Ruth is prepared to show that. She doesn't just want Naomi's God and she stays there. It's meaning something for her. Now that I have the right God in my life, I can't stay. 
in Moab the way I have been. There's nothing for me in Moab. Would to God that we as a church can say the same thing. There's nothing for me in Moab. There's nothing for me in the world. There's nothing for me out there in the world. Orpah still thought there was. However much she tasted, she saw what it did to Naomi's family. She's seen what it's done to her. She knows that bread's in Bethlehem, but she'd rather prefer to be in the world. But Ruth says, I see her decision. And like you and me, we see the decision that our friends and our loved ones and our family are making to try church, try God, but when the going gets tough and there may be tears, to go back to Moab. And Ruth says, I'm not going back to Moab. No. I, she says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. (laughs) Naomi is trying all she can. Say, look, go. It it ain't going to work. I'm telling you. It's going to be hard on you. I mean, just imagine. I mean, think about it. Jim Crow, segregation. You're you're a colored person. You're a black person. And here you are. You're hitting it off well with a white person who happens to be a Christian, you come to know Christ and God through this person because of their poor witness with all of their hypocrisy, but you don't have a church in your community. You don't have a place to worship and to fellowship. The only way you identify with your people is based on your skin color and everything else you used to do. Outside of that, you got nothing in relationship with the people you've grown up with. And the only way you can get more of God and his word and his fellowship is if you're prepared to cross all these lines. And Naomi's like, look, it's going to be hard. You don't want to cross the railroad tracks and come across town to me. Stay down south. Don't come up north. There are people that don't look like you. If you come to church with me that next following weekend, nobody is going to relate to you. It's going to be too different. It's going to be too awkward. Your accent's going to tip you off. Your clothes, you don't even dress like the people I'm about to go back to. Your customs, what you eat, everything about you. It's just going to, sa- it's going to shout, stranger, foreigner. She's like an immigrant without her papers. And she's about to be displaced. And here she is. She's going to be in an area. And she's like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. This is my mother and my brother and my sisters, those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Yeah, they may say blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. Sure, I may have the same melanin count as the people I come from. Sure, I may have certain interests that are common. Sure, we may have a past that we share. But now that I belong to your God, I really have nothing in common with these people anymore. I need something else. And it's your God who's now my God. And so Ruth is showing to all of us how prepared she is to cross all sorts of uncomfortable social lines in order to be able to identify with the people of God. Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses chose the reproach of Christ to suffer with the people of God greater riches than to endure the pleasures of sin for a season in Egypt. Moses could have stayed where he was and and reaped all of the benefits from it now that he has the power that he has. But he chose rather to identify and to suffer together with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt for a season. 
Ruth says, I know at what cost this is going to come to me. I know I ain't got much there except God and a good church to people to belong to. But that's all I need. I wish we can get some of Ruth in all of us. That's what we need. Ruth demonstrates what a church should be. That we're prepared. If Naomi had this and Elimelech had this before they ever experienced the famine in Bethlehem, they would have never left. They would have never left. And now they're hearing it from a stranger who's never even been there. And they're like, oh, man, she's, she's preaching to me. This, where were you about 12 years ago <laughs> when I and my husband were discussing, should we go to Moab or should we not? But look how good God is. He's a God who works all things together for good for those who love him. Ruth would have not known God were it not for, follow me, their sin. <laughs> I know. It, it's, it's not heresy. God isn't excusing Naomi's and the family's disobedience and sin. But we do find encouragement in knowing that even though they dropped the ball, God, because God is God, he has a way of being able to take their situation and turn it out for good. That's our God. Isn't that encouraging to know that it's like here we are trying to toe the line and, and be these kinds of Christians and know like even when I make mistakes, even when I fall short, God can take even my flaws and my shortcomings, my crookedness, and draw a straight line. Look at how straight a line he drew by saving a Moabitess woman. He saves her. And she says here, please don't urge me to go back. Naomi's like, look, I'm urging you. How many of us? Naomi isn't being very seeker-friendly. <laughs> this isn't the best church plant practice, right? We're trying to do everything we can to make sure people, we appeal to people and make sure our God appeals to them. And here, Naomi's being a very lousy witness, and it's not hurting Ruth. She's doing all she can to push her away. It's like, hey, is this a pathway? It's 11.30 a.m. service. Is this the spot? No, no, no. Uh, go to the Church of Christ across the street. Um, there, there's a kingdom hall uh, down the street, around the corner. Uh, there's a mosque in Richardson. Um, go there. Imagine if I found out whoever is serving in our parking lot ministry. <laughs> it's like, that's why we're not getting anybody in here. Hmm, we need to do something about this. That's Naomi. She's being very anti-evangelistic in her approach. But Ruth is like, I want in. No, 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 no. Stop urging me. I'm getting in anyways. They may need to replace you, but I'm getting in anyways. I'm about to worship. I'm about to know God. I'm about to know his people. You ain't stopping me because I'm not coming to church for you in the first place. Your God and your people, it's not about what I want to get alone. It's about what I want to be a part of. You see, when we start coming to God and to his church for the right reasons, we don't need a bait and switch. We don't need to cater we don't need to pander and do all sorts of stuff in the name of, but, but the ends, keep in mind the ends. It doesn't matter what method we use. No, because when it's her time, when it's that person's time, ain't nothing going to come in between them and their God. Orpah, 
As long as she was committed to do what she was, there's nothing you and I could do with all of our appeals to be able to get her back. She was set. And you and I need to know that. There are people who aren't ready to come to church. Pray for them. Don't twist their arm and try to drag them into the church. Encourage them. Point them the way. Pray for them. Be an example. But you got to understand that God has them in his hands. And when it's time, it's time. I'm thankful that Ruth and Naomi are beginning to understand it was time for Ruth. You remember in John 6, when Jesus, at this point, he's got a crowd. It would be safe to say he has a megachurch. And here he is. He's been preaching, ministering, healing for quite a, a little bit at this point. And at, and at this point, he uh, has a message that the Father wants him to preach. And he preaches this sermon. And as a result of that, this megachurch, 5,000, not including women and children, hear it, and they get up, and they say as a result of that message, this was a hard saying. <laughs> Who can understand it? And they walked out the church, never to return. Jesus doesn't say, um, uh, time out, time out, time out. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Scratch that, scratch that. I got, I got another message for you. I'm, I, I really apologize. No, he doesn't. He sticks to his guns. He's like, no, I wasn't trying to push you out. I just wanted to be obedient to the fact that God gave me this message, the Father, and I wanted to deliver it. And as a result of that, they got up and they left. And then he looks to his disciples and he says to them about that, will, will you also go? Will you also go? I, I love that question because it's not a question of... Uh, He'll be hurt if they join them because he's both God and man. He grieves. The Holy Spirit grieves. He, he would be hurt if, if, if they said, yeah, we're, we're actually, we were just discussing. Uh, we're, we're not happy with your messages. And, but he says, will you also go? In other words, I'd be hurt, but I'm ready for that if that were to happen. And Peter gets up. Peter stands up representing the group. <laughs> Peter often does, except this time he's not about to put his foot in his mouth, thankfully. He gets up as, a, as the group spokesman, the disciple spokesman, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The bread is with you. <laughs> not just Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he's the bread from heaven. I'm the bread come down from heaven. And Peter's like, look, there ain't no bread there wherever they're going off to. The bread is with you. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Naomi urges Ruth to go away. Jesus doesn't even urge them. He just poses the question. And the disciples say, we ain't going nowhere. And Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Here we go. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Notice the order. God's people preceded God. Wait, didn't you mean, Naomi, uh, Ruth, your God shall be my God? No, no. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. 
You see, for Naomi, God's people and God's presence were a priority. And for Ruth, God's people had to be a part of encountering God's presence. Ruth, Ruth was someone who, who could have easily said, you know what, I just want your God, but I'm not prepared to deal with all that I'm going to encounter with your people. There are a lot of people who are like that. It's like, I'm cool with Jesus, but I'm not cool with church folk. I mean, imagine what she was going to have to encounter. We talked about the differences that she was going to run into, but she was like, nope, your people are my people. That's what we want. You know what God is saying? What God is saying is, our discipleship has got to look like this. Do we model Ruth's life is where we want to be a part of the people of God. Jesus said, by this shall men know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. Not just by your love with me, but by your love one for another. I believe this is the direction that God is taking us in. Is We don't need to separate God from his people. But one of the best ways in which we learn of God, grow in our relationship with God, encounter God, is by doing so with his people. That's why Ruth says, I want your people and your God. Ruth wasn't just concerned about following after Naomi. Ruth wanted Naomi's people and Naomi's God. John tells us in 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death to life by our love for the brethren. How do we know that we pass from death to life? By praying a sinner's prayer? No. By raising our hands? No. By being baptized? No. By signing a card? No. By our love for the brethren, for brothers and sisters. One of the ways in which I can know where my spiritual life is at with God is by where is it at with his people? How prepared am I to be involved in their life? Not just anybody's life, but those who call upon the name of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said, this is my mother and my brother. Those who do the will of God. Those who do the will of my father. Those are the people that I want to be with, says Ruth. I want to be with your people. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. But what about the differences? It doesn't matter. As long as we got Jesus at the center, it doesn't matter whether we come from Ethiopia, Eritrea, whether we're young, old, whether we're well-educated, or we're beginning our educational experience. It doesn't matter whether we're unchurched, de-churched, whether we've been far from God or near to God, grew up in the church and BBS, or never had anything to do with the church. It doesn't matter. If you got Christ, we're family. We're family. We're family. That's the people I want to be a part of. And Ruth was prepared to count that cost in order to be with them and with their God. With their God. Was it going to come at a cost? You better believe it. She had to leave everything in order to be able. So many people be like, these days, I'll come to church. If you got this program, you got this activity. You got these sort of incentives. You got these benefits. And if so, then we'll come to church. We bend over backward a lot of times in many churches just to get visitors, just to get somebody to come to God or to come to his people. Ruth is not being handed anything. She doesn't have anything. She doesn't even know what it's going to look like as soon as she arrived. All she has is an experience with God. All she knows is that this God who she was far from is now her Savior, her God, her Father. 
All she has is this encounter with God. And as a result of that, she wants everything to do with anybody else who's had this same experience. That's what I believe God is teaching all of us. She not only appeals to her people and her God. Lastly, she goes on and she says in verse 17, where you die, wow, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth is already thinking ahead. (laughs) And she's saying, look, God can do whatever he wants. Whatever discipline he wants to bring upon me, if I turn away from this word I'm making right now, may he do whatever he wishes from me. Outside of death, may the only thing that explains why I didn't live up to my word be the fact that I died in such a way that I didn't anticipate it. But I'm sticking to my word. Psalm 15, 4 says, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. That's what we need. We need people like Ruth who are committed to God's mission, God's people, and to God himself. What's been my prayer this week as we've been looking at this message, as I've been praying for you all, praying for us, is that God would continue to produce this work in our lives. That we would be that kind of a person. You know, Ruth really is a picture of Jesus Christ before it's a picture of you and me. I know we want to identify with Ruth, which is wonderful, but I want you to understand, allow Jesus to identify with her. He's that greater Ruth. Jesus was the one who was in heaven when he saw us go our own way and he saw us sin. He saw us ruining our lives and he realized that we were incapable of saving ourselves. Jesus looks at the Father in heaven and he says, God, Send me. Send me to them. I'll go. I'll go to rescue them. I'll be that substitute. I'll be that answer to their greatest spiritual need. Their people will be my people. Their God will be my God. Wherever it is and whatever death falls upon them will be my death. Whatever it's going to mean for them, may it first mean to me. You see, Jesus was someone who came. He left heaven, and he came into this world, and he became a man in order to identify with you and with me. And he made sure that he was numbered among us as a friend, as a brother. He's our big brother, the Bible says. Not because of what he was going to get. And he wanted to live out his relationship to God on our behalf, which was a relationship that you and I were too. So that when he accomplished the work of salvation and his spirit is in us, you and I now could be freed and liberated now to be able to be free men and free women, no longer bound to our Moabs, no longer thinking that we got to live defined by whoever we once were. Now, Jesus' people that he bought, the Bible says in Acts 20, 28, that he bought this people with his own blood. He bought the church with his own blood. And now that you belong to him, his people are your people. 
And now that he died for you, his God is now capable of being your God. And his death is now your death. And his life is now your life. His resurrection is your resurrection. His promise is your promise. This is the good news of the gospel. And I want to encourage us as we go forward. Let's count the cost. Let's count the cost of what it's going to take to belong to him. Yes, our salvation cost us nothing. But our discipleship is costing us everything. But he paid it all. He did everything that you and I need in order to secure our salvation, our inheritance, and this family that we've been able to enjoy. These are blessings that come down from him. And so I don't know where you are at. Maybe you're somebody who, rep- who sees yourself in Orpah and you're wondering what you need to do. Because as far as you're concerned, it's like, yes, you appreciate God and you appreciate what you get out of your spiritual life, but the world has a pull on you. And you're wondering, am I as prone or inclined to want to return back to the world like Orpah was? Or maybe you see yourself in Ruth or you want to see yourself in Ruth and you're saying, you know what? I don't care whatever it was that I got out of the world. I'm prepared to follow God, whatever it means. God's present here today. I want you to begin preparing your heart because the only way a difference could be made in your life and in my life is when we count the same cost that Ruth in her relationship, not only with Naomi, but with Naomi's God, had to count as well. It meant something for Ruth to do what she had to do. She couldn't remain in Moab like she did. It meant leaving one people for another people, leaving one God for another God, leaving one pursuit for a whole nother pursuit. It's going to mean something for both you and me. But like God was with Ruth in that decision and in that pursuit, God is with every single one of us. He's faithful, church. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's good. Ruth saw something that God wants every single one of us to see. Let's stand together if we could. I want us to really pray together. I'm going to lead us. But I want you praying as I pray. And I want you making this shift within yourself. God, we come before you right now. If we're honest, we see a bit of Orpah in us. There is a love and a fondness for the world and for the things of the world. There's comfort there. There's supposed security and convenience there. There's familiarity there. I could see why Orpah would want to go back. But at the same time, Lord God, when I see Ruth, when we see her, we want what she wants. We want what she had. We want what she experienced. Lord, would you produce in us what you first produced in Ruth? God, I pray that you give us a heart for your people and a heart for you like we've never known. This isn't something that comes from the bottom up. This is something that comes from kingdom down. And God, we cry out to you right now. Holy Spirit, we surrender like we sang. We surrender ourselves over 
into your hands. This is your space. This is holy ground. With man, we understand these things are impossible. But with God, we believe all things are possible. And no matter what may stand in between us and others or even you, we know that you are the God who is capable of doing whatever is needed. And so, God, we come before you right now. We humble ourselves. Heal the pain. Lord, wherever there is hurt, wherever, Lord God, there is unbelief, wherever there is doubt, wherever there is uncertainty, wherever there is fear, I pray right now, in Jesus' name, we cast it out. We dispel all darkness and every pool that the world has upon our lives. We resist it in Jesus' name. And our and our allegiance right now, we declare as one body is with you. Our hope is in you. Our answer lies with you. Our promise is in you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us this hope in your son. And Father, we pray right now, may this gospel come alive in our hearts. May the world, the watching world, see once again a church on fire for Jesus, in love with one another, desirous of putting the interests and the needs of others ahead of our own. May we see Christ in and through our lives. May we be a church not known for our strife, not known for factions, not known for division, not known for hurt, but known for our love, known for our sacrificial love, known for our service that we're prepared to offer to one another. All because of you. All because of what you've first done in our hearts. God, you are love. God is love. And I thank you, Lord God. Father, I just pray that as we set out to conclude this service, hold, allow your word to be held on to. May we not leave this place and your word fall by the wayside like in Orpah's case. May our experience and our encounter with you not be short-lived. But may, be, may it be a work that no doubt begins here and now, but it goes on to continue all throughout the week. Do a work, a real work in each and every one of our hearts, we pray, so that you may get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord one big hand.